In therapy and in music, the baseline informs where we go to next. This is the show that examines the present state of music therapy and asks, where to from here? Welcome to Baselines with Joe Thompson. This podcast was made on the lands of the Darug people. My guest on the podcast today is Gina Chung. Gina is a registered music therapist with a passion for aged care. Since graduating from Western Sydney University in 2018, she has had the privilege to work with a diverse range of clinical populations at schools for specific purposes, a women's refuge, multiple aged care homes, Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, and in private practice. She has also strong interests in research and has been involved in projects such as co-researcher and research assistant. Outside of music therapy, Gina is a leading Age Services Australia young ambassador and a hobbyist of too many, or just enough, things. I invited Gina on today to talk about some of the projects that she's recently been involved in. Gina, welcome to Baselines. Thanks so much for jumping on. Really appreciate your time. Can you start by just giving a bit of an intro about yourself and sketching out what a normal week looks like in your life? For sure. Thanks for having me, Joe. This is so great and such an honor. Um, so I am Gina Chung and I'm a music therapist based in Sydney. And my normal work week is very uh, disjointed <laughs> and changes. Yeah, basically it consists of uh, two half days at an aged care home, another three hours, another aged care home, and then I've got a couple of private clients. This also allows me to then do the research work that I am involved in as well as, you know, some other personal projects. One of the things that I wanted to get you in to talk about, which I know that you've been involved with, is a program called Pitch Perfect, which was a um, program that you ran from a a grant from Royal Prince Alfred Hospital. Would you mind just sketching out what that program was about and how it came about? Yeah, for sure. So in 2018, fresh out of uni, I was somehow lucky enough to land myself in a position where a speech pathologist and I applied for the pitch, which is um, a grant competition that the RPA runs every year. And there's $30,000 in total that the applicants can um, attain uh, to bring creativity into the hospital pretty much, to bring some colour into it, and anyone can apply as long as you're employed at RPA. Um, And so we ended up getting $23,000. And tell me what you did with the money. Well, the project kind of got delayed a couple of times because um, my partner went on, you know, mat leave and then there was COVID and then lots of COVID. (laughs) And so... Originally, the project was planned for in-person groups, um, but eventually we had to move that on to telehealth sessions. Um, And so basically, we used three validated questionnaires to uh, look into their perception of their their severity of Parkinson's, uh, how much Parkinson's impacts on their life, and then two other questionnaires that looked at social outcomes. And then we did some more um, qu- a quantitative 
evaluation using an app called Voice Analyst, which tells you the pitch range, vocal intensity, et cetera. And then we went through like an eight-week program where every eight weeks we would start by doing some vocal exercises, followed by some singing and with a 10-minute break for them to socialize over Zoom. Okay. So the particular outcome that you were working towards in the session or the particular skill that you were working towards in the session was the loudness with which the clients were speaking. And you were hoping to increase that so to 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 establish the impact that that would have on um, general qual- quality of life and social interaction. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And then some secondary goals we're looking at, um, you know, pacing of the speech. And it's all about intelligibility. But um, the speech pathologist that I was working with as well specialised in Lee Silverman's vocal technique, which is all about the loud ah and holding that for as long as you can to build up the vocal muscles. Which naturally would fit quite well with singing and music therapy, right? Yeah, absolutely, especially because we used uh, – I, I started the, off of choosing the songs for them in the first couple of sessions – and once they became more comfortable with me, they suggested lots of songs. And so we were using our songs that the participants had suggested, which meant that they were meaningful, which meant that then they could really engage in it and be expressive. We had a lady take a solo one time uh, during a telehealth session, which was awesome. I mean, what were the results of the program? Did Were you able to impact loudness? And then what was the effect that loudness had on those other social factors? Yeah, so we definitely saw some improvements in loudness in the voices. So we did a pre and post uh, assessment. So before the eight-week program and then after the eight-week program and then a three-month follow-up. Um, and we definitely saw uh, improvements across the participants that we had in the post assessments. Um, but in the follow-up, it was a bit non-conclusive just because some people continued to do the exercises and singing and such and others didn't. Um, but then, you know, that kind of shows that, you know, the program kind of works and singing really helps. Yeah, you could at least correlate participation and attendance and use of the interventions with success um, and atrophy with lack of progress. Um, that is a learning in itself, which is pretty encouraging that's cool and so i mean just generally did you have any reflections or learnings from the experience your role as facilitator working with those sorts of people working alongside a a speech therapist yeah so working with a speech pathologist was a great experience i think just collaborating with other allied health professionals you always learn so much um, in terms of how they approach it so with the speeches it's all quiet functional (laughs) You know, it's all very methodical and stuff. And so the speech she said to me that she had a lot of fun seeing how we worked because everything just seems so much more fun in a way. No, that sounds like an awesome program. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about is um, some workshops that you ran in the Upper Hunter recently for older adults living in the community on how to use music for therapy and music for relaxation. Tell me a bit about those programs. This sounds very interesting. Yeah, so I started doing these programs in 2020 and it's with an organisation called Transcare uh, who also run uh, well re-enablement and wellness uh, workshops. And so music therapy has become one of them. 
they might also have workshops on art therapy or you know um, fire safety, etc. And it's and they're all aimed at um, continuing learning so that the older adults can stay at home and stay living independently. Yeah, right. Interesting. So it sounds like you were. It sounds like what was unique about this is usually, of course, we're the one administering the therapy as the therapist or at least working collaboratively in a therapeutic relationship. But this time it's more educative and empowering. You're actually training. Yeah, so I guess, we, you know, it's so important to really get away from what a technical language and come back to really, you know, the basics of what music is as therapy and I decided to cut my program up into, you know, for, for the music as therapy workshops to then look at music and movement, um, looking at cognition as well. So looking at just coordinating simple left-right drum patterns or even just maintaining a beat with a song they like and explaining that when we are doing this, we are elongating you know, attention and we're multitasking, et cetera. Yeah, it sounds, I mean, it sounds interesting because it sounds like you're not just talking about what you might describe as soft outcomes, but actually um, skill development of, yeah, neurological skills, brain skills, um, which is a, a big thing to be teaching um, someone to, to be able to do for themselves. How did people respond to that? Yeah, I mean, they responded very well. Um, they weren't sure that they would do the drumming stuff, but they definitely enjoyed singing the singing part and they definitely think they can do that at home. And we all know that singing has great therapeutic benefits. Um, and I also incorporated songwriting into the program. So, you know, replacing, so using lyric substitution Yes, for the music and relaxation workshops, I more incorporated validated techniques, so like breath work, body scans, et cetera, et cetera, and then kind of t talk them through how to use music to facilitate the space or to time the exercises. Yeah, so it was just more like education on how, how music is used in a therapeutic sense. Yeah, yeah. Were you able to get a sense at all for what, the responsiveness and the uptake of these techniques were amongst the people that you were talking to? Um, so workbooks were provided. I had to spend hours and hours making workbooks that I was, you know, that the organisation funded and produced. Um, uh, so they had the resources and, you know, like I think I always gauge how interested people are by how many questions they ask or if they bother like coming up to me afterwards to talk to me about something and I got that after every workshop, so they were definitely keen. And a lot of them already, you know, with the music as therapy, were already doing some of those things like exercising to music, um, using music for relaxation, you know, as a morning routine, turning the radio on or whatever, you know. So they also already kind of had, some of them already had these in place. And I guess the workshops then exposed them to what they could do more. I mean, it's cool to see people looking for music to play a role in this sort of a situation in prolonging independence outside of residential aged care. Um, is it something that from this experience makes you think music should have an established role in that particular environment? Absolutely. Just because I am, you know, I, I kind of call myself, I specialize in aged care, I would like to say, because it is my area of interest and I definitely see, you know, like a need for those community-based programs, whether it be singing groups, you know, or like 
just social meetups as well that, you know, we would do like group listening and it's, you know, it's just things that you get in a residential aged care home that you don't when you're living independently in a community that then also can help you stay active and to age healthily and stuff as well. It's almost like early intervention for aged care or something like that. Totally. So, I mean, this is something that we'd flag to talk about. So, let's use it as a segue, the community-based programs. And it's interesting you, interesting hearing you talking as someone who describes himself as uh, having a particular interest or focus area in aged care um, for you to see the value of community programs. Just tell me, like, what do you think that value is particularly? Why do you think it is so important, particularly for, let's say, aging adults generally? Well, I just think that, you know, I think everyone wants to be close to their family and to be close to their friends. And, you know, unless you're very unwell or you need that extra bit of support, um, you know, you do want to try and stay at home. And that's like the government's push as well, I think. There's more interest in keeping people at home than having them in residential aged care. But there isn't all of the uh, resources available for these people to stay independent, you know, especially if you're from a migrant background as well. There are so limited services. And I guess, you know, from a, since I'm, I am a person of colour, you know, we have this family thing where we do want to keep the elders at home and want to take care of them. But, you know, see, my grandparents and they don't, they can't really participate in many of the activities that are available for older people just because they don't speak English. And so things like that, I guess. And, you know, I think it is an act of social equity as well, you know, enabling people that choice. Yeah, this is fascinating, Gina. So talk me through what that might mean, say, for the people in your life. Do we need to have more community-based programs which are specifically targeted to different types of ethnicities um, so that we can be the multicultural society that we aspire to be? Yeah, I think so. There's a lot more discussion about the culturally and linguistically diverse population now in general. So in residential aged care as well, there's very little accommodation towards culturally and linguistically diverse residents where, you know, like a lot of the things are quite westernised as well because we are in a westernised society. Yeah, I think music is a great way to bridge that because it can be so... It contains so much of a person's culture within it. Exactly. We'll be back to this conversation, but first a quick break. This episode of Baselines was sponsored by you. Baselines now has a Patreon site, which you can go to if you'd like to make a donation towards the show. While Baselines is something I do for the love of it, each episode takes time to set up, record and edit. But even the smallest contribution you make helps me to stay motivated to keep producing more content. If you'd like to keep hearing more conversations about music therapy, then you can find the link to my Patreon in the show description. Now, back to the conversation. It's just made me think, as you've been saying that, that um, sometimes music is described as a universal language in that melody and rhythm are not bound to a particular language, but music can also represent a culture 
so strongly. Uh, you can generally recognize what part of the world a particular song is from when you hear it, even if it's instrumental music. Um, so there's an interesting interplay there, isn't there, as you start to work as a music therapy in culturally diverse settings. Um, what parts of the music do you take which are universal and what parts of the music do you take which are specific to a culture? Yeah, so even as you were speaking as well, you know, like these community-based programs might not necessarily be conducted in the language that people speak, but they might contain elements of it, you know, whether it be like a rhythmic thing. So if you have a group of like Cantonese people, which is what I speak, you might just use like some of the classics and you don't have to sing the words and you just got to sing the melody, you know, and they can do the exercise to it or they might do it and sing themselves. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it must also show the importance of having culturally diverse music therapists um, to be able to facilitate these groups. Yeah, I think it's always, you know, you maximise the outcomes if you have the correct uh, music therapist for the correct person. You know what I mean? Like it has to be a match in in personality and in like background, maybe even just like, you know, certain cultures share certain values and so if there if there's that you know there can there can be real connection and that's where the real therapy happens in that space yeah it's interesting and then to circle back to where we were only a uh, a, a music therapist of a particular cultural background or someone who's gone to the effort of trying to understand that particular culture mm. would recognize what you've recognized in that a community based program is more necessary for say for example um eastern asian cultures which are more reticent to uh, have their aged people live in a residential aged care place um to be culturally diverse in aged care is almost mm -hmm. a bit of a, a paradox to be culturally diverse working with older people means not just to be in aged care settings. Yeah, for sure. And, and it's just about bringing the best out of people as well and ensuring that they're heard, I think, is so important because, you know, I think there's like a, a double whammy going on where, one, they're old <laughs> and they often feel left behind when they're old because, you know, they were once active productive members of society but now no longer are and therefore feel a little bit left behind or maybe some do get left behind as well. And two, they might not be able to participate socially as well because of um, language barriers. Let's um, move on a little bit again because um, we've got one more thing that I wanted to talk about which was a roadshow project where you wrote a book of songs with some special residents. Sorry a roadshow project where you wrote a book of songs with some residents and then went on a roadshow to five other homes and a local preschool and a local hospital. It sounds pretty cool. Tell me about that. It was in 2019 when uh, the Royal Commission into Aged Care was going on and the aged care home that I worked at put together an in initiative um, to kind of, you know, embark on a musical project that would really set them apart from others and it really, really did. So this was all a self-funded project by the organization that owns the home. They run um, many, many homes across Australia. So they funded, they funded me to write uh, 24 songs with 24 residents. Yeah, and they create, produced a book. And then we selected a couple of songs and threw in some familiar songs, learned them. And then me and 
a couple of staff members and 12 residents all would hop onto a bus um, once every two or three weeks and we'd go to other, either another home from the same organisation or to the local hospital or preschool to perform our songs. And, you know, I, I don't think because I'm writing a paper about it now and there's nothing like it, you know, in terms of even performance in the music therapy space is not very common, let alone in an aged care setting where we are putting them on buses and, you know, kind of like we were like a group of rock stars. (laughs) One One of them said to me, you know, it made them very happy and a lot of them weren't musical and so they never really thought they would have this opportunity to perform ever. And, you know, a lot of them had never been applauded as well. Wow. That would have been really significant. Yeah. And another resident also said that he's been on the other side when he's been at hospitals and the musicians have come and entertained him. And now he's kind of doing that to other people in need. And he, he was like, I really see, you know, I really see it all happening. They're just smiling and clapping. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, it's very empowering for them as well. Let's talk through the processes. So tell me about the sorts of songs that they were writing and and how you went about writing those things. Yep, so I did write some songs with people with dementia as well. So depending on the level of cognition, it also uh, then guided how much uh, input I would have. Um, But the general themes were about you know, the careers or their family or just things they like to do. One particularly touching song was written by two sisters and they celebrated their love for each other in the song. So good. And another one was called Keep to the Funny Side and it was written by a, um, a lady who was very sick. Um, but she, it was a very positive song about, you know, you just got to keep to the funny side, otherwise it's all going to drag you down. <laughs> so once you'd written the songs, you took these on tour and you actually had, as you said, the residents performing with you. How were they able to participate in those performances? Yep, so we rehearsed and we, we like, learnt the songs. I taught them how to sing it and they got it really well so that there's this factor of learning and self-improvement as well in the works. And in terms of instruments, we had percussion instruments, but some residents, you know, had their own ukulele or harmonica and some just preferred to sing. That's an interesting interplay too between the performance aspect of music that you were alluding to before and then the more communal and participatory aspect of music when the audience sometimes sits back and sometimes can be more involved and so the residents get to experience both of those types of music yes that's right that's right and yeah so I do think that this uh, project is very much entrenched in the community music therapy realm just in terms of how you know then we're viewing the whole process as therapeutic it's not just a music like or singing you know singing isn't therapeutic it's the act of making music outside of the home, you know, with people that are external to who they're used to and forming those really meaningful relationships. Yeah, because I interviewed them for my little paper and a lot of them actually brought out that point that, you know, going, leaving the home and doing something meaningful was what was therapeutic and they didn't care if they, you know, they didn't care about singing. It was all about the connections I made through this 
act of making music. It's almost like the music isn't the therapy. It's the relationships and the experiences that the music facilitate, which are the therapy. Yes, that's right. And even just, uh, you know, not just being within one home, their, their home, but also going out into the community, like going to the hospital or going to the preschool and feeling, you know, because I guess when often people in residential homes who are a bit disconnected from the outside world, um, and they are, you know, one of the most isolated uh, population groups as well. And so, you know, having them go to other homes and make those meaningful connections and even being in public spaces then kind of um, reconnects them with the community. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'd like to just move on to um, some quick fire questions that I like to ask all my guests. So, Gina, do you have a go-to therapy song for any time you're in a tricky situation? Yes. So in aged care, when I, the first song I usually play for people is Red, Red Robin. <laughs> Such a cute little song and people tend to know it. And what's one piece of advice that you'd give yourself as a student RMT if you could? Definitely work hard, but don't overthink. You know, it's important to work hard, but then sometimes you just start overthinking, you know, just start planning every little bit. <laughs> yeah. Like it's sometimes not worth it. It really takes you away from being there with the person and lastly what is one thing about being music therapy that you like more than anything else Mm, i definitely have had some euphoric moments where it appears that i've enabled someone to experience a space where they can be free music can really pull down those barriers that Mm. are so present otherwise pretty cool place to end Amazing. Gina, thanks so much. This has been honestly just a brilliant conversation. Appreciate your time. For sure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Baselines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit follow and leave a rating and a review. My single purpose for making this podcast is that it helps us, the music therapists of today, to think clearly and carefully about what we do. I hope today's episode has given you something valuable to consider for your work and your practice. Thank you.